Hi, I'm Jennifer Ackerman Haywood, and you're listening to episode 45. This is a podcast all about art, craft, and creativity. And I produce this weekly show in the hopes that it will help all of us live long and crafty lives. This week's guest is Saya Carson. She is the author of a great new book called Craftivity, 40 Projects for the DIY Lifestyle. She's also the founder of the website Supernatural, which is a fabulous independent website where she and other movers and shakers on the art craft scene post articles and discuss all things DIY. Saya is 36 and lives in Beacon, New York. She's a busy mom, an artist, and crafter. She's also a partner at Flat. It's a multidisciplinary design firm. And she also has taught at both Yale University and the Rhode Island School of Design. So clearly she has the street cred to tell us a thing or two about art, craft, and DIY culture. I really like the great mix of projects in craftivity. First of all, the book includes 40 projects, which is more than most craft books, and the wide range is fantastic, with excellent contributions from Syed's Supernatural pals, including Jenny Hart, the woman who single-handedly made embroidery cool again by creating sublime stitching, and Kelly Janoff, the founding minister of the Church of Craft. And those are just two names of people that comprise the fabulous list of contributors Well, this book is great for people like me who like to flit about the DIY scene, trying every medium there is. This book will give you reason to create art with yarn and paper and plastic, wood, glass, old sweaters, old t-shirts, lighting fixtures, whatever you can find at the thrift store. You can be thinking, hmm, I think I'll crochet and turn a page. Oh, maybe I'll knit. Flipped (laughs) a few more pages ahead, you can be into woodworking, mosaics, jewelry with buttons. It just is one of those books that appeals to people like me. I'm really digging several projects in the book, but I really have a thing for the pom-pom rug. It's got a crocheted foundation and then all those little pom-poms that you normally see on top of a little winter cap are affixed to this rug. It looks so cool. So grab a project and settle in for a great chat. And, you know, we're going to start out with the basics, me asking Saya the origin of her lovely name. Please stick around after the interview to find out how you can win a copy of her book. I want to make sure I correctly pronounce your name. It's Saya? Yes. Okay. Well, that's a lovely name. I like that. Where where did that come from? It's Cherokee. Cherokee. Wow, that's wonderful. So are you part Cherokee then, too? Yeah, yeah. One fifth of the country is part Cherokee. You know, I mean, yeah. it's a big deal and then not a big deal at all. I love to tell people that because it's such a surprising statistic. That is surprising. So if you're ever in a room with five people, one of them is part and Cherokee. And say, hey, one of us is part Cherokee. Well, that's interesting. I'm so glad to be able to get a chance to speak with you today. I did get a copy of Craftivity Came, I want to say, last week. And it's been this major distraction. I've been carrying it around with me everywhere. <laughs> sneaking glances <laughs> at this book. I love it. And I have to say, there's such a difference. Like when I got, because I, I was sent a proof originally. And and I'm like, I really want to see the pictures here because I was could not wait to see the pictures. <laughs> yeah. And they're, I, I love it. I, I really love the book. So well, thank you. This is a great, a great achievement for you and all of your crafty contributors. Thanks. I'm really proud of it, actually. I think it turned out really well. I know you've been on the crafty scene for a long time, and you are a designer. 
you could maybe start out by telling me a little bit about your background of how you got into craftiness, if you've been a crafter since childhood, or if you were at a at a drawing table sketching up designs when you were five. I mean, where did all this start? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I grew up in a family of makers, uh, artists, and designers, and it was just very natural and supported to make stuff, whether that was drawing or beading or knitting or whatever, sewing. And then plus, you know, I grew up, I'm a child of the 70s, so that was really the zeitgeist, right? That was really in the air. And I think part of the current resurgence really is a result of people who grew up in the 70s now becoming adults and having some kind of agency over media and kind of rekindling what they learned as kids. Do you remember anything in particular that you really enjoyed doing as a child? I used to get paid to weave on a big loom with my friend Jesse because his mom rented out space to these weavers. And I remember really loving weaving on wow. this like, giant, you know, professional loom. So they were like floor looms, hand looms? No, no, automated. You know, like a huge wood contraption and you would shoot the yarn through and then you would... Um... I was so little when I was doing this, I, I'm just trying to remember... It was actually a machine loom, but you had to kind of hand crank it. I remember okay. doing that and really wow. loving that. Well, yeah, I didn't get into weaving until I was much older, and I wish I would have had a friend named Jesse with a mom with all these looms. <laughs> because I really, really love it, and um, I actually have a bunch of looms at my house. They're not on. Wow, really? They're not. They're not actually, like. Since then, I haven't. I haven't done any weaving. Well, it's crazy. I actually have been carrying around along with your book. Now you can just imagine how big this bag is. I actually got a, a backpack. I've been carrying the bag around with all my craftiness in it to work and all these places. And I have a little loom in there, like a really tiny one that makes like four inch squares. <laughs> so, so like if I find like I'm coming unglued and I really need just a moment of Zen, I say, okay, I'm going to just give myself a minute. I mean, people take smoke breaks, you know, I take craft breaks, you know, right, that's a great idea. I, <laughs> I mean, try that, it's actually. very rare that I actually get to take a break, but the fact that I know it's in my bag, it's just in case. It gives me a certain sense of calm. Getting back to Jesse's mom, who had these looms. So you did work there, and it sounds like you were paid for it, but you enjoyed it. Oh, I, I loved it, and I can't imagine that they, they paid us very much. I remember they said, well, do you want to be paid in cash or in yarn? And, of course, I said yarn. <laughs> <laughs> and then I crocheted a, a hand puppet, as I recall. <laughs> So it sounds like they didn't pay you a whole lot of yarn, you know, just a little bit. But Well, it was really nice yarn. It was like a very thick, I remember it, it was a very thick mohair. After the hand puppet, one day I decided I didn't want that anymore, and I pulled it apart and made a scarf out of it. Oh, wow. Cool. So you were into recycling, too. Evidently. <laughs> evidently, the, the roots run very deep for this stuff. I haven't really thought about any of this in a long time. Were you always making things throughout your life? I learned how to crochet knit pretty early, and then I probably didn't do it again until an adult. But most of the stuff comes from growing up without a lot. So it never was uncool to me to thrift or craft. I was always doing it. It was more out of necessity that I did these things. And that was true for the rest of my family as well, really. And where did you grow up? I grew up in New York City. That'd be a pretty cool experience. I loved it, especially in that time period. It was a really great place to live. It was very doable to have raise a family in the city. It gave me a wealth of experiences that I really treasure. Yeah. And so where did you go to college? Well, I went to five different colleges. Actually. Okay. So we'll, we'll give you some time to list them off here. <laughs> I had two degrees with five colleges. First, I went to Rhode Island School of Design. I did foundation year there. And then I went to San Francisco Art Institute and did about a year there. 
And then I ended up finishing my undergraduate at Nova Scotia College of Art and Design, which was an incredibly fantastic school. I did my graduate degree. I did half of it at the School of the Art Institute of Chicago and the other half at Ohio State University. Now, did you plan to spread it out like that? It was almost all dictated by financial concern. I went to the places where, one, I was being conceptually challenged, and two, they were giving me the most money. Well, it's a very good way to approach it. You know, I maxed out my loans to go through school, so I really felt like education was a right, and I was going to get the best education I could get, especially if I was paying for it. It was a very direct relationship, you know. I did all my own paperwork, (laughs) so I knew what was going on. Yeah, you you didn't have your people working on that. If I didn't feel like the school was challenging enough for giving me what I needed, then I I left. I must emphasize that NASCAD, Nova Scotia College of Design, was by far the best (laughs) educational experience out of the bunch just in case, you know, people don't want to do five different colleges. You know, you don't hear a lot of people say, you know, especially from New York City saying, yeah, I'm going to Nova Scotia, you know, to study art and design. I mean, it's just... Well, it wasn't like a lot of people from New York City. (laughs) (laughs) Did you do that all in a row? Yeah, pretty much back to back. What did you study while you were there? Well, art. I studied art. My BFA, I have a minor in 19th century art history, and I did installation and performance work all the way through. My grad work, I was a double major, isn't the right word, but I worked in two departments, the art and technology department and the art critical practices department. It has nothing to do with most of the stuff I do now, actually. I think I, I find that a lot of people, you know, we get degrees, but we don't do exactly what we studied. But that's okay. Education is power. In college, you just learn how to learn. Okay. So you're, what, early 20s when you're done. So what did you do right after that? I did almost all these schools with my... Then boyfriend, now husband, we did a lot of work together. My husband and I did graduate degrees so we could come out and teach. So we've been doing that at the college level part-time, basically from the minute we graduated. But um, we were always interested in working together and working with other people. And so after we got out, started a design firm called Flat. And Flat is in some ways a very traditional design firm. We do graphic design, interactive design, environmental design. And in some ways, it's not because we do a lot of self-directed projects. And one of those projects is supernatural.com, which has kind of led me to part of the reason why I'm talking to you right now. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You know, your crafty side came out in that. My husband and our other partner at the firm, we all are big DIYer, so it just made sense that we would do this as a side project to celebrate this kind of culture. When did you start Supernatural? A couple of years ago, but we have been involved in the scene prior to that, if you can call it a scene. I guess it's kind of generous. We've been making stuff <laughs> prior to that. <laughs> How did this come to be? Yeah, I don't have a good answer for that. I mean, it seems like a very natural progression, and a good portion of it was just to test out back-end software because we were sort of building out some technology solutions. And this was a great project to demo to clients so they could understand the content management system that we were making, the publishing system. And for those who don't know, if you're explaining to someone on the street who has not seen your website, how do you describe it? It's like a blogazine. <laughs> a blogazine? <laughs> it's kind of half magazine, half group community where people discuss things that loosely relate to DIY, do-it-yourself culture and crafts. You know, the way it works is some of the content is editorialized and a lot of the content, like on the community that's called Glitter, which is a bulletin board system, 
that's um, just people talking to each other. Most of the people that contribute are these people that you just know? Some of them I've known since high school. A lot of people I've met online, people will point me to different sites or somebody will email me and say hi. The web has been really, really great for this kind of stuff. It's been able to connect people and make a kind of critical density for this kind of culture that maybe otherwise wouldn't have quite as much life to it. Well, isn't it funny, too, when you think about the fact that a lot of us were trained in traditional crafts, um, the internet comes along, and suddenly there's like this craft explosion because we can all connect with each other. And it's like we're almost like high on yarn or something. Like everyone wants to, <laughs> everyone wants to like show their projects and talk about stuff. And you're contributing to that with your website and um, and now your book. I hope so. You have Craftivity, uh, 40 Projects for the DIY Lifestyle, which is a great book. And I love the fact that there's 40 projects in here. We wanted to do a really big book, you know, and 40, that's a big that's book. A, yeah, it's a big book. And the thing <laughs> is, the book, but the book still, you can fit it in your backpack. I'm glad to hear that. You know, initially I, I had wanted the book to be bigger. I guess I didn't really know how much I had bit off, actually. <laughs> well, believe me, if the book would have been like 80 projects, I wouldn't be like, oh, crap, it's 80 projects. I mean, no, I mean, bring it on, you know, bring on the projects. How did the book project grow out of the website? Well, one day I was sitting at my desk working, and I got an email from a book packager called Lark Productions, and they said, let's do a book based on your site. And I said, wow, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, this is exactly how it happened. It's like a cakewalk. So they put together a book proposal, which I have no idea how to do, nor did I ever want to learn. We put together some sample design pages based on the table of contents that we had come up with. And they brought it around, and HarperCollins freaked out and bought it. Awesome. And, I, and then I was like, uh-oh. Now I have to do <laughs> it. Yeah then, yeah, then the hard part comes. You know, my attitude with things, and I always try to tell other people to do this, is that the answer is always yes. And one of those, you know, or two of those things will actually work out in the end, because most of them don't. And this is one of those yeses that actually worked out. After kind of getting the initial bones of the book together, along with the book packager and the editor at HarperCollins, who are immensely helpful, I brought in three people who are really smart and really great makers, uh, Scott Bodenner, Kirsten Hudson, and Karen Tanaka, and they were really instrumental. I list them as contributing editors on the book. They were really instrumental in helping me sew up the loose ends, find some additional contributors. I mean, really, the way I found contributors is I asked people I knew already who I really liked their work, and then I sent out emails to people just saying, do you know anyone? And I found some great stuff that way. It was really very, very low-key. One of the things that makes the projects very powerful in this book is that most of them are gifts. Most of them, the people who made them gave them to someone else. And so they're incredibly personal, thoughtful sort of projects. And these are things you don't have to spend gobs of money on, which I really enjoy that too. I mean, t-shirt underwear... That's not going to cost right. you anything, you know? I mean, you just go get your T-shirts and uh, make them into underwear. Have you tried this project? I'm going to confess to you that I hate to sew. Oh. It's really the thing. <laughs> I, I really hate sewing. I, I finally admitted it to myself after the book was done. I was just like, I, I hate it. I will do almost anything else. Woodworking is great. Any kind of yarn art. Uh, I can't weld. I've tried. It's very scary. But sewing, I actually don't like doing. 
So what is your favorite? I'm generally like a high concept kind of crafter. So usually what I do is born out of an idea, which is one of the reasons why I really love the t-shirt, Logan's t-shirt underwear project, because I have all these extra t-shirts. I'll make underwear. You know, it's like this great epiphany moment. Technique-wise, I guess, the only thing that I've been interested in experimenting with is Tunisian crochet. I probably just have a soft spot for crochet because it's one of the first things I learned how to do. And I find it to be really flexible and underrated. Well, and I have to say that one of my favorite projects in this book is the pom-pom rug. Oh, that pom-pom rug is brilliant, isn't it, Lana Lee's project? That's a great, great project. And that's a crocheted foundation, if I remember correctly. It is. It's a crocheted foundation which, frankly, I thought was so exquisite she could have just used that as a rug. Yeah, well, I was like, man, I wish I could see more because I can't see the backside. Of course, of course, in project books, you don't photograph the backside. I'll put some pictures of it online, actually, because I think it's a really beautiful thing. Do you own that rug now? Or is that no, your, no, 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 Lana. It's, it, Lana has it in her house. I was going to say, if I made that, I don't think I'd want to give that away. Um, <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> it's really awesome. I really like paging through this book because you're covering everything from spinning yarn and some basics about crocheting and and knitting as well and it's really really cool because people if, even if they don't know how to do these things or you know how to crochet but not knit or vice versa hopefully people will look at this and go in their own direction which a lot of us love to do because we don't always follow directions exactly yeah no i would definitely encourage that i mean i see these projects as jumping off points for people i wanted to make the book as non-intimidating as possible and also to include projects that you didn't have to do exactly for them to turn out right. And you didn't have to have some kind of like PhD in craftology to complete. So, I mean, almost all of them are beginner level projects as far as I'm concerned. It's very important to me that it be a multi-craft book, that it cover a lot of different kinds of materials because I think materials are really a big point of inspiration. There are tons of knitters out there, and I knit, but I also do everything else too. And I love the fact, I love it when I, I see someone who is comfortable maybe with, you know, yarn switched to glass, because you never know what you're going to connect with until you try something. So and this is a, a good book to give people kind of inspiration to jump off and try something new. Yeah, I mean, one of my favorite projects is Jenny Hart's embroidered screen yes i love that that. i love that and jenny hart is all over these days she's just rocking the craft world she's a great lady i mean she's really such a delight she ought to be all over she's really like single-handedly changed the face of embroidery (laughs) i need to get her on this show did you have a project in here i think i did three projects for the book the knit lampshade oh yes Mm mm-hmm I did the wheelbarrow fireplace. Yeah, that's awesome. I did the um, etched glasses. I honestly tried to do as little as possible. Well, that would have been overwhelming. (laughs) Well, also, just think in principle, the expectation is that if you make stuff, then you make everything. People have these crazy expectations of you. I'm setting myself up as speaking on behalf of this kind of culture. I walk in some place and they expect that I've like made all the clothes I'm wearing come on like I have time for this I have a two-year-old so I always advocate making as little as possible thrifting as much as possible (laughs) and doing trades with other people who are really good at certain things what kinds of things do you make if you're trading with somebody one of the things I do on the side which I think people actually really love is I do a kind of punk rock form of feng shui along with Kirsten Hudson is one of the contributors to the book So I'll go over and help people with their houses. 
feng shui their houses. I'm sitting in a cluttered room right now, so I could imagine that I could really, I could really use your help. If only Beacon, New York, was closer to Grand Rapids, Michigan. Oh, believe me, you have no idea. My house is like a feng shui horror show. I knew it when we bought it. But I just the longer I live here, the more I go, oh, God, you know, <laughs> so much trouble. So um, I could definitely use more help. Is it harder to spending that time on your own house? <laughs> no, the problem is that we have to move the entrance to our house. Oh, and that, was, that involves a little bit of time in, in major construction. You yeah, know? yeah, it's like a big job. It's not like, a, you know, I've done all the small things, but they're actually major yeah, that's a big one. Well, let's talk about your life as someone who's living an artistic life. You did say that you teach at the college level. You're not community college. You hear that you uh, teach design at Yale and Rhode Island School of Design. Done some I teaching have there. The past, yeah. 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 What is it like to teach at Yale? It was really interesting. I mean, I came in as a visiting critic into the graduate program, and my husband and I have both done this. It's very fascinating looking at graduate work. The students are really smart. And you just sit and talk about work, critique the work, which is something that I think um, I was trained to do really well at my time at Nova Scotia College of Art and Design. You know, I really enjoy uh, helping people, and it's great to look at work that they're working over, like, a two-year period to complete. So they're really thinking about it. The people that I got to teach with sort of totally phenomenal, so... It was good all the way around. I've done a lot of teaching, and I really enjoy it. It probably is what I should do for a living. I just haven't found a place to do it at yet in a full-time manner. (laughs) What is your role now with your firm? I'm a partner, and um, I still do client work. Since I have a kid, I'm on a, a lower work schedule, so I can spend more time with her. I'm very lucky. I mean, I think, you know... I'm just like, a, I really have a nice life, and I'm really lucky to have it. And so do you work from home, or do you, do you still go into the office sometimes? I do. I sometimes go in. I work mostly from home. And really, over the past year, this book has been my main project, my main work-related project, because my firm designed the book, contributed a lot to the book, and so the book is really under the aegis of the firm. Well, that's awesome to have that much design control, too. It was amazing, actually. That's what HarperCollins wanted. We wouldn't have done it otherwise, though. (laughs) (laughs) And you guys did an excellent job. Thank you. It's visually appealing, and I think uh, that's key when you're trying to sell a craft book. Lots of good photos, some diagrams, too. Then Lynn Beck did the photo photography. He does beautiful work. He works with a lot of um, kind of high-end fashion accessory companies. It's really quite gorgeous, the main photography for the book. The spread of projects, painting wall murals, a soft octopus. I mean, to have a stuffed octopus is not something that, you know, you think, hmm, I think I'm going to make an octopus today. But you look at this book, you just might do that. <laughs> <laughs> and converting pipes into candle holders. I mean, how did you guys dream this stuff up? Really, there are 40 contributors involved, and there's a lot of creative people out there. Had they already completed these projects? Most of the projects were made for the book, so I did a lot of curation work. And then some of them, like the embroidered screen door, Jenny Hart and I came up with in conversation. You know, she said, oh, I've always wanted to do this. And I was like, oh, my God, I so want you to do that. Uh, awesome. <laughs> Awesome. And I feel like a lot of my job with this book was being a curator. I also do a lot of research into kind of the golden age of these books, like the Creative Family Workshop series and the Making Things series. There's a whole bunch of books from the 70s that are just phenomenal that, you know, are out of print. 
And I spent a lot of time looking at those books, too, and trying to figure out what was so great about them and then what didn't work. You know, it's not traditional. You know, it's, I think a lot of times people, and it's kind of like the whole question, I ask people and my husband would, would laugh every time I ask the question, you know, and, and we edit the shows. Because I, would, I just get on the subject of art versus craft, you know. But for your book, I, I think the question seems relevant again. What do you think? How do you think? The art versus craft. Yeah, question. yeah, yeah. What do you think about that? Once upon a time I was in graduate school, it just struck me one day that I couldn't differentiate <laughs> between art and craft and design. To me, it was all making culture. And to me, the litmus test is if that culture is interesting or not. Not what it is, but is it interesting? Does it have social relevance? Does it do some kind of work in the culture? And I decided that I was just going to make culture. And I didn't really care what anyone else thought it was or wasn't. <laughs> because it seemed to me that for the kind of work I was doing, the white wall, gray floor space of the gallery or museum was an inappropriate space. And in fact, I had stopped even trying to make work for that kind of space a while back. To me, I'm a cultural producer, I make culture, and if people want to call it one thing or another, that's, that's their affair. And the only thing that I look at, at when I look at culture, I just say, well, is it interesting? Is it socially relevant? Does it have a purpose? And that's how I ascribe value to it. And I don't really make a difference whether the client is a Guggenheim or the client is Coca-Cola. So craft versus art, I mean, I think that there's people who have very good arguments about there being a difference between these things and the reasons why they're kind of fights about this, etc. But I just, I'm just not there. I appreciate like craftsmanship, which I have almost none of. <laughs> I really have a deep appreciation when someone can really do something beautifully well. I'm just interested in creating culture, and that's all I do. People I've interviewed that where this really kind of irritates them. It might be someone who quilts or someone who knits or crochets, and they do very artistic things with their pieces using these techniques and. A lot of times they have trouble getting into galleries. Meanwhile, I'm desperately trying to get out of a gallery. <laughs> Why is that? I think that's interesting. I don't think it's an interesting context for me. I'm not saying for everyone. It's not the end-all and be-all. It's like the most rarefied form of capitalism, the most abstracted form of capitalism. You charge people money for making the stuff that has no apparent use. Um, <laughs> right. So when artists get all hoity-toity about what they do, to me it's absurd. And really, I can't differentiate between that and working for a commercial client. But I do understand why people, you know, get upset or people want to be appreciated in a certain way. For me, I really don't. I don't care. I'm happier that, you know, I'm ending up doing a book with my firm for a mainstream publisher that hopefully a lot of people are going to see than to be sequestered in a gallery space. And I don't need that after going through so much art school. I don't really need that kind of validation to mm -hmm. see my work as being important or useful or interesting. Was there a time when having your work in a gallery was exciting to you? <laughs> Long pause. <laughs> you know, I just like making work. I, it's, the problem is I don't have enough like of that kind of ego. I have plenty of ego. I'm incredibly arrogant, don't get me wrong. 
but I don't have the right kind of ego, you know, like, yeah. I just don't, I don't care, I just like making things, I like showing them to people, I like people interacting with them, I, I, I'm some kind of simpleton, I guess I'm not very impressed with this kind of stuff because my father was a conceptual, is a conceptual artist, and uh, I had a lot of exposure as a kid, and so it's real hard to impress me. My father's work was really phenomenal and very seminal in the 70s to kind of conceptual performance art, so it takes a lot to impress me. <laughs> so you must be a tough professor. Oh, you know, I don't look at critiques that way. It's all about getting the student to think more carefully and more thoroughly about what they're doing and has nothing to do with what I like and dislike because I like so little. (laughs) (laughs) Well, well, it's good that you have that self-awareness too because I think we've all had professors who, it was clear they didn't like our work, whether it be writing or art or whatever. I got to say, my ridiculous experience at American art schools, they really don't know how to do the critique here. It really is improper to use a critique to tell someone whether or not you like their work, because that's the least useful (laughs) feedback you can give someone. Because in the grand scheme of things, that person's going to continue producing culture. You need to help them produce, like actually make a viable production methodology for themselves so that when they get out of school, they can keep making what they need to be making. Well, and a lot of times I think people forget that art really is a form of communication. Well, they totally forget that because... Since Clement Greenberg, there's been this kind of like bizarre modernist blip on the face of art making practice that it's about self expression. But believe me, <laughs> if I could communicate one thing, <laughs> this kind of stuff, maybe it's self expression as a byproduct, but it's primarily about communication in my mind, whether that is something that's labeled as art, or whether that's something that's labeled as craft, or whether that's something that's labeled as design. And the clearer we can make that communication, the better the work is, really. What advice do you give your students to help them find their true voice and to develop themselves as artists, as opposed to trying to meet a certain requirement for graduation and to kind of go beyond <laughs> that? Because I think, I mean, that's an obvious concern for I mean, anyone who went to college. We all know that we sometimes found ourselves doing projects or doing things that we knew would satisfy graduation requirements, but maybe not necessarily the things we really felt we should be doing at that moment. I don't really have a good answer for this, honestly. I mean, because I think that it's a long process to develop work that not only that you feel passionate about, or, but that actually speaks to other people. You know, So if you find something that actually communicates to other people the kinds of things that you want to talk about, then that's like the greatest thing you could get out of an undergraduate program. What is your hope for this book? What do you hope that people get out of Craftivity? Well, I, you know, I just hope that it's in some manner inspirational to people to know that they can just make things and they don't have to do it the right way and they don't need a million dollars of craft supplies and they don't need to go buy kits. That, you know, if they're just making things kind of from the heart, Mm-hmm. That's the best way to make things. Where do you find that you really like to go to find supplies for your projects? Other people's houses. <laughs> <laughs> so when they're not looking, you're just like, people are like, hey, where'd that doily go? Oh, I haven't seen it. No. <laughs> so do you just ask people for, like, say, if they're trying to get rid of something and they know just to, you might be interested? or well, definitely it... doing those kinds of swaps can be really, really useful. In the city, there's, like, a whole trimmings part of town where they just sell like trimming it's pretty overwhelming though and I do I really do like going there um I've been going there since I was little um and I can't I can't like resist a button you know it's like a sickness 
so if I have the time, which I never do anymore, I go there. But, you know, I also just like drifting. Well, I think there's a certain satisfaction when you make something cool out of something that someone was either going to throw away or it just didn't cost any money. It's like alchemy. It's like turning lead into gold, you know, which I think is probably the most magical part about making things. I don't understand why there's so much emphasis on perfection in, in this area when, in fact, people should really feel more freedom to be loose. Yeah. <laughs> loose about what they do. Yeah. Well, it sounds like you're empowering people to take the art and the craft in whatever direction they choose and, and consider the things around their house, the things they already have. You know, I've always wanted to have a hammock, and maybe I'll turn to page 65 and make Annika's, uh, what if she make this out of, uh, hemp twine? I mean, it looks awesome. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. And I gotta say, um, it's a bear of a project. You really have to be dedicated to that one. It looks like it'd be hard on the hands. It is hard on the hands. It's simple to do, but it takes a while. Annika discovered that knitting with twine is not very pleasurable. Yeah, I did actually a smaller a project on smaller needles with twine. It was kind of more of an experimental piece. I was using twine and beads. Oh, that's so uh, beautiful. Well, it it, it was I was going to do something hang over like in a window, like so there'd yeah, be beads sure. and and the glass would, would it would be great colors. I I made this like little sample, like just a little swatch to see if I was going to where I was going to go with yeah, it. And you were like, no My way. hands hurt so damn bad after that that yeah. I was like, but I think this would actually be easier than what I was trying to do because the stitches are bigger and the knitting's looser because I was doing this really tight, which wasn't going to work you anyway. Think, you would think so. Yeah. Oh, you you can attest. Well, she does say that it's described as challenging. And I like the honesty of the book too. If it's challenging, yeah, you I, tell I really people. Yeah, I felt like that's that's something that doesn't happen in a lot of these No, because, and then people feel, they feel really bad about themselves. They feel like idiots. Yeah, when they try it, and they're like, geez, I can't make this hammock. And it's like, well, okay, this is an advanced project, and you got to know going into it that this might be a little uncomfortable to knit, but you're going to like the end results. And I appreciate that. I feel like, you know, all emphasis on perfection and needing all the right materials is really a barrier to people's creative nature. And I just hope that this book takes down some of those barriers. Well, I really think it will. I really do. And uh, so what can we expect from you next? I know you've barely gotten this. This book is just hitting uh, newsstands or in the book- bookstores. Like, is it this month that this is coming out? Or yeah, was it- it's like next week. Yeah, so so um, this is just coming out. Do you have plans for another book? Or are you going to take a break? It's funny. You know, you would think this would have burned me out, but actually I'm like rearing to go. I do have an, another kind of table of contents worked out for a book, but the thing I'm really thinking about right now, of course, and I, should, I wish I had thought about this first, because this is truly a money-making idea. I want to do a calendar called The Men of Supernatural, and it's like all the crafty boys. Oh, wow. Like, yeah. That'd they're be all, fun. They're really, they're all so dreamy. They've gotten a lot of commit, committals. Yeah. It will definitely outsell the book. Wow. So when is this coming out? Is that going to be for uh, Christmas time, or, you know? <laughs> I, we'll see if I actually get it together. I have, yeah. I have the models. <laughs> So you have 12 hunks lined up here? Yeah, I think I'm just missing a couple of months now. It's interesting, you know, they all they all act coy, but then they all say yes. So, oh, well, that's a total, that's like a total stroke to the ego. <laughs> when oh, yeah, you say, will yeah. you be in a hunks of a yeah. Supernatural uh, calendar? Yeah. Will that, so there, will there be projects too, or just dreamy photos? I think it's, you know, going to be guys working. Now, what inspired this idea? Oh, God, a late night without any sleep, watching my two-year-old, I think, coming up with kooky ideas. 
You know, I was looking through the contributor photos, and I was thinking, like, these guys are so cute. <laughs> like, uh, my, my husband, Doug Lloyd, who's also a book contributor, real, he's super crafty. So is he? I hope, I hope you're going to put him in there, because oh, he might yeah, feel no, a little weird about it if you're rounding up no, other no, dudes. No, no, Mr. April. Oh, okay. What did this look like? Are you kidding? And then he was like, oh, I'll do it. He's really, really cute. So, <laughs> yeah, no, definitely. <laughs> So, yeah, as you can see, I don't, you know, I don't really take this stuff too seriously. Yeah. Is this PG, this calendar? Oh, no, totally PG. Yeah, okay. I doubt any of these guys would even take their shirts off. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's not going to be like a fireman's calendar. It's going to well, be like the opposite of the fireman's well, calendar. Well, I think, I think that's, that's, there's certain classiness about that, you know, because you don't want to, like, dirty the craft, you know. <laughs> You know, we got to keep it all, you know, clean here. Um, especially when you have children, and you know, your children. You know, right, that would be right. quite quite alarming. Has to be family friendly. Yeah, it has to be family friendly. Yeah, you got to <laughs> raise the bar a little higher now with the children involved. Yeah. Well, so yeah, that's all. I, that's all I'm really working on. I have, you know, I have a table of contents for kind of the next book. Will it be like like this here. book? I'm thinking that it's going to be kind of larger home scale projects, like doing a gray water gardening systems and building kind of alternative structures like yurts. Oh, awesome. Kind of bigger. (laughs) Bigger and more about, like, you know, doing your own solar panels, that kind of thing. You can do your own solar panels? Yeah, I haven't myself done it yet, but I'll get to it before we get to the next one. Oh, that's awesome. That's awesome. (laughs) So, thanks a lot, and I wish you all the best. Anytime. Good luck with it. Good luck with your two daughters. Thanks to Saya for sharing her story and bringing us Craftivity. Check out the book if you haven't seen it yet. I find it very inspiring. One little program note. Unfortunately, Saya didn't get time to make that hunky calendar that we chatted about. I guess we'll all just have to hope that she revisits the plan for 2008. This week's project is the Felt Pillow Project, found on page 85 of Craftivity. It's a project by Scott Bodiner. It is available as a PDF download from craftsanity.com. Once you get to Craftsanity, please follow the links to learn more about all of Saya's cool projects. Thanks again, Saya, for being a great guest and helping me get the project to post. And thank you to HarperCollins for the permission to post it. Okay, so let's move on to this week's contest. In the introduction of Craftivity, Saya writes about why we make things, and I'd like to hear from you. To get into the drawing for a free copy of Craftivity, all you have to do is post a comment on the Craft Sanity blog answering the following question. Why do you craft? That's it. It's very simple. Why do you put all the hours into making things? Feel free to take this question wherever it leads you. Your answer could be very long or very short. Let's get kind of a little discussion going. So not only is it a chance to win a free book, you can log in and find out what other people have to say about it. And then please, if it wouldn't be too much trouble, please copy-paste your comment into an email message to me along with your mailing address. So I know that's kind of a cumbersome thing, but sometimes if you post on the blog, I might not have a way to track who you are. So I want to make sure that I can get everybody in the drawing. So please copy-paste your comment into an email message and send it to jennifer at craftsanity.com. You know, obviously, I don't want you to post your mailing address on the blog. Thanks to HarperCollins for donating the book, and good luck, everyone. The deadline is Tuesday, December 12th, so you have a little bit of time to think about why you craft. A special thanks to Julie in Minnesota and Tina in New Jersey for supporting the podcast this week. 
I really appreciate it, ladies. Thank you very much. Okay, let's see. We have another contest announcement. So subversive, down and dirty DIY for the fabulous fashionista, the free copy by the ladies over at Stitch Lounge. I interviewed two of the three authors a couple weeks ago. I am pleased to announce that Claire in Santa Rosa, California, was randomly selected by Craft Sanity's Vice President of Fun to win the copy of the book. So congratulations, Claire. I know you're going to enjoy it. Thanks to everyone who entered. You'll be able to see Claire's winning entry and everybody else's. Since it's a random contest, we don't do any kind of judging as far as the projects go. We're just thrilled to have the entries, and we will post those on the blog this week. Claire turned a pair of cargo pants into a skirt. The possibilities are endless. And this book, So Subversive, is a great guide to kind of take in clothes you own in your own closet or new stuff you find at the thrift shop and turn it into something cool. Thanks once again to Taunton Press for donating the free copy of So Subversive that will go out to Claire. For those of you who live in West Michigan, I thought I'd mention that I'm going to be at the St. Cecilia Music Society for an art show from 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. on Saturday, December 9th. That's in downtown Grand Rapids. I'll be peddling some Craft Sanity t-shirts, pins, and some fabric-backed pocket mirrors, and I'll have some other random crafty goods that I'll be selling. I don't have any illusions about selling everything I bring because, frankly, my main objective is to get out and meet creative types, promote the podcast, and... Most importantly, troll for future guests. Please do stop by. You'll know me when you see me because I'll probably be the only one at the event wearing a Craft Sanity t-shirt. <laughs> so it'll probably be pretty obvious who I am. There are some actually really accomplished artists who are going to be at this event. So check out the blog for a preview of who's going to be there. Also, if you can't be in West Michigan, the talented members of Handmade Detroit are having a holiday market at the Magic Stick from 10 a.m. to 5 p.m. And if I wasn't already otherwise committed, I'd... Try to go check that out because it sounds like it's going to be great. All right. You guys have a great week. I'll be back again with yet another show. I'm way ahead in my taping schedule, so I'm kind of feeling antsy because I want to interview like 50,000 more people. But I got to kind of get my backlog cleared here. So you have a great week. And in the meantime, don't forget to craft sanity, my friends. It works for me. Thanks for listening to the Craft Sanity Podcast with Jennifer Ackerman Haywood. Visit CraftSanity.com for more information about today's guest and links to subscribing to the podcast. Want to support the show? Follow the link to vote for Craft Sanity on Podcast Alley once a month. You can also make a donation or buy goods at the Craft Sanity store. Have a suggestion for a future guest or have other feedback? Email Jennifer at CraftSanity.com. Thanks again for listening to Craft Sanity.